Surprise, surprise. Not only does Armando Baycott play against Louisville, but he starts. Not only does he start, but he records a dub-dub. Not only does he record a dub-dub, but he does so in the first half and finishes with 14 and 16. He's Armando Baycott, and he's a Tar Heel. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, January 16th, 2023. It's MLK Day. Ah, Martin Luther King, thankful for that man. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade. I really want to thank you for making us your first listen or watch every single day. I want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn, who helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Coming up on today's show, you know, we've got our four corners recap of the game, the shady stat of the game. We're going to talk about the women's wonderful win over NC state. Get out of here. Wolf puppies. You know, what's up there, but To start off the show, I feel like we really need to spend some time talking about Armando Baycott. This is an Armando Baycott appreciation post. Like, here's the thing. Carolina was playing awful Louisville. Louisville is objectively awful this season. Uh, in, In fact, I said that on Friday's show and was chastised for it by a commenter on YouTube, which I don't get. Because following this game... Louisville is now in the 280s at Ken Palm. That makes them objectively the second worst power six conference team in the past 20 years, the past two decades. That is awful. Okay. Anyway, so Carolina, all they had to do in this game was to not lose. But if if you're missing Pete Nance and Armando Baycott, that is easier said than done, quite frankly. So, Thankfully, Baycott plays. They get their first true road win of the season. And in large part, it's because this dude, their center, is in the middle. And he is a tough, big nugget, (laughs) to change a Roy Williams phrase. I legitimately, and, and I never understood this, remember a time when people thought that Armando Baycott was soft. I never want to hear that noise ever again. Mondo is a tough, tough Dude, there's just no denying it at this point. He played in this game. Think of everything he went through in the Final Four, injuring and re-injuring himself. Like, clearly in in that, I mean, was just laboring along against Kansas down the stretch there. His shoulder earlier this season, he rebounds from all these things and then rebounds every basketball in sight. Pun completely unintended, but I should have meant it. I mean, Baycott at this point is essentially in Joel Berry 2017 toughness territory right of just getting out there um I, I don't know if it's just a thing where mondo has a higher pain tolerance than the the rest of civilization but man he can make it happen because in this game against louisville was he healthy no was he healthy enough absolutely was at least by his standards and that's all that matters right like a different person might not have been able to play with whatever level of pain he's experiencing 50, 60, 70% of himself. I don't know. 
only he knows that. And it's Mondo, right? He He's going to do everything he can to get back. Now, as you watch this, regardless of how he felt, as you watch this to the eye test, he clearly did not have his bounce, his athleticism. For several minutes of the game, I was legitimately starting to think like, ah, man, I just, I don't think Mondo's going to be able to provide much today. Um, and so at what point is like, 60% of Armando Baycott better than whatever percent you have of Jalen Washington right now. Um, but man, his veteran savvy started to win out over a little bit of time. Just, just as I was starting to think, Hey, at what point, like legitimately I Armando's a decoy out there. Like he, he can't get up and then he has this dunk and then he has another dunk right after that. And then I'm like, okay, here we go. Got a couple points. Jalen Washington's checking in now. Go to the bench, get a breather, whatever. But Jalen Washington wasn't even checking in for Mondo. He was checking in for Seth Trimble. Hilarious stuff there. Um, But then just something all clicked. He scores his first points at dunk at 1226. And at that point, he already had five rebounds. The rebounds were coming. But after scoring just under 1230 like that, he had a dub-dub secured, locked up less than six minutes later. That's right. Scored double-digit points in less than six-minute span of the first half. He he got an offensive rebound and put back at 646 that put him over the threshold of double digits, both in points and rebounds. This young man is a special, special person. Speaking of which, this is a great moment for me to remind us all how quickly these players come and go. Now, for all I know in this NIL era, Armando's coming back next year. There's a, I would say at this point, there is a greater than 0% chance that he is playing basketball in a North Carolina uniform next year. But assuming that he follows the typical college path of leaving after this year, his fourth year. This is a great moment for me to remind you and myself to appreciate him before he's gone. You know how, think of your own like graduation days of high school, college, grad school, whatever it may be. You're with these people day in and day out all the time, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, it's over because you've been going hard all the way up, studying for finals. You take the finals and all of a sudden everyone's gone. Or if it's your graduation year, you go through all that, Graduation, boom, it's gone, and it's never quite the same again. Very similar thing here. You're so used to seeing people like Armando or Leaky this year who doesn't have any eligibility left. You've seen them over the course of their career, and you, it just starts to feel like, oh, man, this guy's always going to be around, and hopefully they will in terms of coming back. But in terms of playing basketball for the University of North Carolina, those days are severely numbered and limited. And so let me remind you and me and all of us to appreciate Armando Baycott before he's gone. You're literally watching North Carolina history happen every time he sets foot on the court. His next double-double will tie him with Billy Cunningham for the most in Carolina history. And I know Cunningham did it in fewer years, whatever. Records are meant to be broken. One more. He's sitting on 59 right now, Mondo. is. One more will give him 60 which could be Tuesday night against Boston College, which means he could set the Carolina career double-double record at home on Saturday against NC State.
Now, here's the other thing. More history. Armando Baycott is about to be the leading rebounder, leading career rebounder in North Carolina history, surpassing Tyler Hansborough. Psycho T. Erasing anyone who erases Psycho T from a rebounding record book is doing something right. Currently, Armando has 1,186 career rebounds. Tyler Hansborough had 1,219. That means that Mondo just needs 33 more to tie him. It, it kind of stinks uh, that getting hurt in that Virginia game um, because had he played in that game, probably would tie and break the rebounding record also against NC State on Saturday. Now, it's still possible. I mean, 33 to tie, let's say 14 to set the record. He needs to get 17 a game, uh, 17 against Boston College, 17 against NC State. I ain't saying he can't do it. You've seen him do it. Just watch. All that to say, Armando Baycott is a Chapel Hill treasure. Soak in every moment of it. You know he is. Because you're going to blink and it's going to be over and he's going to be gone. (laughs) That's very sad, but it's true. Well, folks, coming up next, our favorite part of every game recap show, our Four Corners recap, where we honor Coach Dean Smith's legacy in that way. And of course, you know, I got to give you the shady stat of the game as well. All of that coming up in just a minute. But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success this year all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, with which you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, the values, and the experiences that you're looking for to achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. You can identify those candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and again for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your qualifications all there on one platform. You want to achieve business goals in 23 and hiring the right team member might help you do exactly that. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks again for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen. Next, check out our brand new podcast on the Locked on Network, Locked on College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus hear from big game experts, big name experts, excuse me, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, let's get right into our four corners recap, where we just look at four things that I thought were were pivotal or important in the scope of this game. And it's called four corners, obviously, as a way to honor Coach Smith. Number one, we had to start 1A as Armando Baycott, but 1B in this game, DeMarco Dunn. And listen, this is where I got to just keep raising my hand and saying I miss the boat on this one Um, all summer long. Just like I don't see much of a role for DeMarco on this team. (laughs) And that's based on I mean, last year just didn't show really any confidence, didn't really show um, like you see some of it, 
um, as, as possibilities, but it never came to fruition. But boy, it's starting to this year. And, and I want to say several things about it with DeMarco Dunn. Statistically, this, well, let's just say this before we even say statistically. This was the best game of his Carolina career. And it's not just because of the numbers, but the numbers help. Career high in minutes, 25 points, 14 rebounds, five field goals, five steals, two made three pointers, two offensive rebounds, two plus or minus 25 on the positive. Incredible stuff there. But beyond that, and perhaps most importantly, was his defense on L. Ellis in the back half of the first half. L. Ellis was doing whatever he wanted to. This could be the shady stat of the game if we had wanted it to. He scored 11 of Louisville's first 15 points over the course of the first six and a half minutes of the game. Seth Trimble couldn't stay with him, blew by him. Seth Trimble. Our Leakey had had some issues. He maneuvered around RJ for an assist down in the paint. Like L. Ellis was just finding his way, doing whatever he wanted to. Until DeMarco Dunn picked him up with about eight and a half minutes left in the first half. So many things that he did. Uh, chiefly, is he just stayed in front of him, between him and the basket. I mean, that that's what defense is, right? I mean, at its core, anyway. But listen to some of these individual things that happen. DeMarco Dunn induced an offensive foul on a three-point shot. Ellis kicked out his legs. And the shot went in. It looked like it was going to be a four-point play. But the ref, I, I didn't even pick up on which one it was, caught it. Like, for all the negative we say about refs, I, I want to honor them when they make good calls. This was a good call. Clearly, he had kicked out his legs to initiate contact with DeMarco. And you saw immediately after the play, DeMarco showed that that had happened. Um, another thing DeMarco did was just started picking him up full court. And I mean, A, it caused Louisville to have to take extra time getting into offense. B, it wore down L. Ellis, who is Louisville's offense this year um, in a year where they're just not good. Uh, Dunn blocked an Ellis three-point shot. He drew a travel on him. He, again, just stayed in front of him. All of that added up to, after those 11 of Louisville's first 15 points, zero goose egg the rest of the half as DeMarco Dunn literally played all of that final in eight and a half minutes and didn't surrender a single another point to L. Ellis. Now, to be fair, L. Ellis had 11 more points in the second half, finishes with 22, but the game was over. Carolina was leading by 11 at halftime, stretched it all the way out, a, a quick Louisville run to start the second half, but Carolina pushed back and then all the way out to as much as a 23-point lead. Here's the most important thing I want to say, though, about DeMarco Dunn. His confidence is soaring now. You see it showing up. You see it on his face. You see it in the way he carries himself and then how it translates to his on-court performance. DeMarco Dunn, keep it going. Second thing is... This team has been a bit of a yin, yin and yang team. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, mountains and valleys team. And honestly, I think we see that in the contrast between what RJ and Caleb have been doing over the course of the past six games. At one point this season, both of these guys, both of the backcourt starters, 
were shooting under 30% from three-point range. One has climbed, one has not. RJ, over the past six games, is shooting 50% from the three-point line, has made 17 of 34 attempts. Meanwhile, is now shooting a career high for three, from three for the season, 36.8%. So this guy where it was like, man, RJ, Caleb, what's going on? RJ's now shooting a career high for a single season from three. Will it keep up? We'll have to wait and see. He's also shooting a career high from the floor, 48.6 on just all field goals. His his career average there is 41%. For the season, 87.5% from the free throw line. He's just doing it. Caleb, on the other hand, in that six-game stretch, 28.8% on field goals, 26.8% on threes, including 0 of 7 against Louisville, and a career low 77.9% on free throws for the season. And herein lies the contradiction of this team. Are you confused about what this team is? Well, the question marks are Caleb and the four spot. RJ is playing really, really well. We just talked about it, shooting the best he ever has in his Carolina career. Leakey is playing really well. His his defense hasn't yet been as locked down as it was at times last year, but the offense has been more. And so in, in aggregate, he's giving his team essentially the same amount of points. Mondo, pre-ankle injury earlier this week, was doing things scoring-wise he had literally never done before. Five straight games of 20-plus points. The question is Caleb. And I don't bring all this up to rag on Caleb. I bring it up to say three-fifths of the starting lineup is doing the stuff you want and expect from them. So not if, but when Caleb is Caleb, this team's going to be all right. Now, they, they still got to figure out some stuff with the four because last year they had a dynamic player in Brady Manick. And Pete Nance, you know, like if Caleb can get to be Caleb and Pete can get back on the court and just be healthy and, and solid, that should be enough for Carolina to be Carolina. All right. Four corners point number three. Let's talk turnovers. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, Carolina forced 14 Louisville turnovers. And I do mean forced. 11 of those 14 were steals. A career, uh, excuse me, a season high for Carolina in a regulation game. They had The only game they had more was that four overtime game against Alabama. Moreover, part of the good, they turned those 14 turnovers into 24 points off turnovers. Great stuff among the season's best they've done in that metric. The bad with turnovers. Carolina had 14 of their own, which ties a high for this season for a regulation game. They had more against Alabama, 18. But 14 turnovers for Carolina. And now the ugly when it comes to turnovers. Louisville only had three steals. So that means... 11 of Carolina's 14 turnovers were of the self-inflicted, unforced error variety. Nope, that ain't it. Carolina's got to do better, got to get that straightened out, especially in a game like this against a team that doesn't force many turnovers, clearly. And in in an era where Carolina is utilizing three and four guards at a time, they should not be turning the ball over at this level. That's got to get figured out. Fourth on the Four Corners recap, I just want to mention the starting lineup. Um, Nance is still out, as you know. And so the past couple games, as Nance has been out, it's been the 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 four-fifths that remain of the Iron Five, RJ, Caleb, Leaky, Mondo, and then Seth Trimble alongside of them. But 
there was a difference in this game. And it was Puff Johnson alongside the others. His second start, second start of the season and of his career. Now, here's why this is super interesting to me. Our projections over the offseason this past summer were that if Carolina didn't get a transfer in, remember, Carolina only got to bring in Pete Nance because Kerwin Walton decided to transfer to Texas Tech, who was the worst team in the Big 12. Sorry, Kerwin, that stinks. Um, but because Kerwin transferred out, Pete Nance was able to come in. Had Pete Nance not come in or had Kerwin not transferred out, the starting lineup probably would have been what it was Saturday at Louisville. RJ, Caleb, Leakey, Mondo, and Puff Johnson. So this is something I want us all to keep our eyes on as the fourth point of the Four Corners recap. If, if Nance continues to not be able to be in the lineup for whatever amount of time or, or later in the season, might it make sense to go with this starting lineup that we had seen uh, as the probable starting lineup before Pete Nance came to Chapel Hill. Now, obviously, I've been a big proponent for the three-guard lineup starting at starting Seth Trimble. I got no problems, though, with Coach Davis. Um, he doesn't have to answer to me, but you're here to get my opinions and takes, and I'm giving it to you. I got no problem with Puff Johnson being the fifth starter alongside those other four guys. I, I think there's so many intangibles he brings, especially when he does like what he did. Saturday hits a couple threes because the, the problem – is if it's either Seth or or Puff, the, the offense kind of falls off a little bit there. But I think at this point in their careers and journeys that Puff has more to give offensively than does Seth. Seth's uh, his best attribute as an offensive player right now is dis distribution and getting to the rim. And so like if you're going to start Puff, I still think you need to use uh, that 3G lineup quite a bit in the course of a game, but it doesn't have to be the starters, I, th I think is kind of where we're at right now. Um, and, and the great news is part of this is the bench continues to deepen. Um, great bench utilization here to the point, like many more minutes, obviously for DeMarco Dunn, Jalen Washington. And when Nance comes back and, and either Puff Johnson or Seth Trimble aren't starting uh, for those guys as well. And you, I mean, you legitimately feel like coach Davis might start going a little bit more nine deep and that's not even playing Tyler nickel. That's not even playing. Um, who am I missing there? Dontrez. Um, I, I think Justin McCoy at this point, you got to put him on the shelf a little bit, unfortunately, but you hear my points there. And, and the helpful thing with that is that no one in this Louisville game played more than Caleb loves 33 minutes. And he was the only one that played 30 or more minutes. So that is great. And what you need to see. All right, let's wrap up this recap with the shady stat of the game. Louisville had a stretch. This is a defensive thing. We don't often talk about that for Carolina, but it's, it's inching forward, getting better and better at Ken Palm. Louisville had a stretch in the second half, 11 minutes and 21 seconds in which they only made one field goal. Obviously they had some free throws in there and that whatever one made basket over the course of 11 minutes and 21 seconds in the second half. That's more than a quarter of the game. That was from 1325 to 156. And in fact, that one field goal came in a way that Carolina, uh, it was over seven minutes that Louisville didn't score a single field goal. Great stuff from the Tar Heels um, to, to just keep getting more engaged with one another defensively. I know it was against Louisville, but you got to start somewhere and it's a great place to start. 
All right, coming up, the women had another massive home win on a Sunday, but this time it's against NC State, and that is good news. I'd like to tell you more about it, and we'll do that in just a minute. But first, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From the pro football playoffs going on right now to college and professional basketball, they've got it all at Bet Online. So make sure to check out the line for tomorrow night's game when the Tar Heels host Boston College. It's always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Oh boy, the women. They'd gone through that losing streak just like the guys, but they have turned it around. The winners of three straight, two of which are top 11 teams in the nation. Notre Dame last Sunday, NC State yesterday. Carolina gets out with a very low scoring 56 to 47 victory. This now is their fourth win this season over a ranked opponent. Have play, have had so many opportunities to go up against other high-level competition and have done well with it. Four and three against ranked teams. Just to get um, that that many games in against that level of competition is great. It's just like the men. The men are, you know, uh, top fifteen in strength of schedule right now per Ken Palm. It's just them in Alabama. Outside of that, no other major conference teams in like that top 30-ish range. Pretty good stuff there. Anyway, listen, in the in this game, neither team shot well. We're, we're not going to pretend like they did. Both teams shot under 30% for the game, and those days are going to happen. The question is, is your defense good enough to make up for it? And for the Tar Heels, it was. Because NC State also, as I said, shot under 30%. Great, greatest things that's happening is, man, in sports, just you just never know what you're going to expect. Destiny Adams, scoreless for the majority of this game until the final three minutes and 30 seconds, in which she scores eight straight points for the Tar Heels over the course of less than two minutes to stretch a four-point lead, ultimately out to a seven-point lead. That four-point lead was with three and a half minutes going. When she got it back out to seven, there's just 90 seconds left in the game. And, man, you're feeling good. So Destiny Adams comes in and does it. Gets a layup, uh, back-to-back threes, and it's just going at that point. And so it's academic. You just got to hit your free throws, which Carolina did down the stretch there. Kennedy Todd Williams, here's another thing. It's not just about... um, Adams doing stuff like that down the stretch. It's about others chipping in. Deja Kelly's not the leading scorer in this game. It's Kennedy Todd Williams, who's not just Carolina's leading scorer, like high score for the entire game for both teams. But boy, perhaps the most impressive stat coming out of this game for me, Alyssa Usby. 18, count them, 1-8. 18 rebounds for Alyssa in this game and and that's what Carolina has to do to succeed. This is the first game they've out rebounded their opponent in conference play this year because they're an undersized team. Again, as we've said all season long, you got to rebound by committee if you're the Tar Heels or just let us be go out and do work. And the great thing about her being the rebounder, she doesn't have to outlet. She can get it and go and be to the other side court, facilitate, do whatever needs to be done. But perhaps here's the best thing that happened. 
the Tar Heels had their first sellout in Carmichael since 2014-15. That needs to be the reg. That needs to be the regular thing that's happening, going to support these women, getting behind them, and uh, man, just it's a good thing that's going and just want to see the Tar Heel fan base go support more and more and more rest of the season. Every Thursday and Sunday is an opportunity to go be there. Speaking of which the rivalry carries on this Thursday, NC state on Sunday, hosting Duke on Thursday, eight o'clock Eastern on ACC network. Be ready for that. Blue Devils come in 16th, at least before the rankings refresh coming off of last week. And so that means Carolina will have played three ranked teams in their last four games and four ranked teams in their last six. Crazy stuff there for the Tar Heels. But again, they're getting great high-level opponents to go up against. So better yet, don't get it on ACC Network. Go to the game if you have the capability to be there. All in all, great weekend for the Tar Heels. Not only did both these basketball teams win, but wrestling beat both Harvard and Brown. Women's tennis beat Elon and App State to kick off the season. Great stuff. Uh, Man, just Tar Heel athletics. It's fantastic. Always and all the time. Well, that is it for today's episode of the show. It's going to be another great week. Ian Jackson's commitment is at some point on Monday. Essentially, it's down between Carolina and Kentucky. I'm hearing it's probably going to be Kentucky, so just buckle up for that. But but you never know what's going to happen in these commits. We'll get you ready for Tuesday night's game at Boston College and much more coming up this week. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. Would love for you to email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Send us your nominees for the heel of the week and the heel of the week through email. Uh, through Twitter, whatever you want to do. Also, please don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, and comment. We're in the home stretch, final couple hundred subscribers to get to 5,000. Crazy stuff. Would love for you to be a part of that if you haven't already subscribed. For your second listen, check out our brand new Locked On Network podcast show, Locked On College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know both on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks so much for spending part of your Monday hanging out with me, recapping the weekend. Great stuff. Can't wait for another good week ahead. And you know what? It's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace! Peace!